0: Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way.
1: Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace and today I want to talk about how do you connect with people. Now some people are just not quote unquote easy conversationalists. So we want to focus on how do you have a conversation with someone, especially when it's a tricky subject like politics or something else that bothers you, and how do you stop avoiding those conversations without damaging relationships, and then how can you be more persuasive with people, and quite honestly, how do you strike up a conversation with anybody and make it work smoothly? My guest today, Celeste Headley, believes we need to have more conversations, better conversations on all the important topics, and with her experience on the radio, she's got some proven tactics that are going to show you how to be a better conversationalist when it matters most. Now, Celeste is host of On Second Thought, a Georgia public broadcasting show, and has been a host and correspondent for NPR and PRI since 2006. Her anchoring at NPR includes The Takeaway, Tell Me More, Talk of the Nation, and Weekend Edition. Celeste also has appeared as a guest on CNN, the BBC, and other networks, and in 2012, she anchored presidential election coverage for PBS World. Now... As if that isn't enough, Heard TEDx Creative Coast talk in 2015, 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation, has been viewed more than 10 million times. And CNBC noted Celeste as having one of the most-watched TED Talks in 2016. Glassdoor named her as having the number one must-watch TED Talk for every recruiter and hiring manager. And her book, Heard Mentally, was released in May 2016, and her just-released second book, We Need to Talk, How to Have Conversations That Matter, is A Practical Guide to the Lost Art of Conversation. I think you're going to enjoy the advice advice we're going to hear today. Celeste, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I feel like we we got a big coup that we get an insight now directly from you. So let's start (laughs) with this whole notion about how to have better conversations. Okay, so... If I'm walking up to somebody who's really good in conversation and I can ask one question and they start talking, they make it so easy for me and I don't have to say very much. But not everybody's easy to strike up a conversation. So what can you do to be a better conversationalist?
2: You know, questions are your secret weapon. And many of us think we ask a lot of questions, but in reality, we do do not or we ask far less than we think. Um, so the best tool you can use is a open-ended conversation and that means a question for the most part that's going to begin with who, what, where, when, why, or how. Okay, why do we use those particular kind of questions? Because a complicated question in means you're going to get a simple question, a simple answer out. Um, most of the times that refers to like a yes or no question, right? Something they can answer with a yes or no. But really that just refers to any time you're asking a question, but actually qualifying or describing the answer before they give it. Like how many times have you heard an interview give multiple choice answers <laughs> to a question? They'll ask a question and they'll say, uh, maybe, you know, who, why do you think Donald Trump won the nineteen, the, the 2016 election? Because uh, there was anger in the Midwest? Maybe it was because of, of race, you know, longstanding. Racism in the U.S., they'll give multiple choices instead of simply asking a simple question. And a simple question is a beautiful thing. The more questions you ask, the more you draw the other person out.
1: All right. So I have a habit, Celeste, when I'm trying to get a group in particular talk, of asking three questions simultaneously. And I usually follow that by answer any one of those you want. But you're going to tell me that just confuses people.
2: Yes, um, well, there's a couple things that go wrong there. Certainly as an interviewer, you're giving them an out. <laughs> Maybe they're going to choose the easiest one or the one they want to answer rather than the one that may have the most interesting response from them. But also you're, you're basically characterizing them. It's a multiple choice quest, t- test. And that was the easiest ones in school, right? Um, so instead of doing that, simply ask a simple question. What was that like? How did you feel? What do you think? And then allow them to describe it. They're the person with the expertise. They're the person that was there in the situation, if that applies. And they're the person best suited to actually really describe what was happening.
1: So you have? do you have favorite questions like, what was that like or how did you feel?
2: Not really. I mean, there's no questions... Um, There's no template for me to give to anybody. Um, I I can say it's actually quite difficult to start all your questions with who, what, where, why, or how, uh, and you will not be able to do it. Well, maybe you will. Maybe uh, you're fantastic and you're amazing, but it's really, really hard, and you'll find that at your best, you'll be asking 50% of your questions that start with that. But keep pushing it, keep trying. It's a worthy endeavor to keep doing that. And it's, it's less about standard questions you want to ask and more about what do you want to know? Um, you uh, know, it's, yeah, what, it, you, it's funny because I was up in the, at the TED summit last year in, in Canada and this uh, nuclear scientist sits next to me and says, you know, I've watched your TED talk three times and I still can't figure out how to start a conversation. And I said, well, uh, where are you from? He says, Japan. I said, yeah, but are you from Tokyo or where are you, Where inside Japan? He says, I live in Kyoto. And I said, well, I've only been to Tokyo. Is, is Kyoto as, as packed, as, as crowded as Tokyo is? He says, no, 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 it's more spread out, blah, 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 blah. And I start saying, well, do you live in a house or an apartment? And do you have a backyard? And he starts describing to me what the city looks like. And about 10 minutes later, I said, that's how you start a conversation. You ask questions they know the answer to about something that they're interested in and let them answer.
1: All right. So, but you had to pursue with lots of questions with him before you really got him talking about something.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's normal. I mean, that, some people are like that. Some people aren't, uh, aren't going to open up like a flower. Uh, and that's okay. Just keep asking questions okay all right
1: so you said I can start a conversation with anyone by asking a simple question not a complicated one that the person knows the answer to and it's on a topic they care something about
2: right do, what, you know, what shirt are they wearing? Are they wearing a, a shirt with a team sport on it? Do they have a tattoo? Do, are they um, talking on a particular kind of phone even? I've started conversations by asking them about their smartphone, a, a topic they know the answer to so they'll feel comfortable and they won't feel like it's, you know, those gotcha questions, but also that you think they're interested in and, and then they'll answer you. Okay. All right. So
1: that takes some observation powers. I have to start to notice these things and probably have a little bit of a repertoire of the kinds of things that I can engage people in, I presume.
2: Right. And you don't want to be too intrusive, right? You don't want to say, oh, there's a cut on you. You don't want to be Sherlockian about it. (laughs) You want to, you know, you want to, you want to be as, as respectful and courteous as possible.
1: Okay. All right. So I start a simple conversation. So, you know, what do I do when, you know, like in an incredible, usually in a networking event, you walk up to somebody and the first thing you ask people at a networking event is, what do you do? And I find people give you the most boring answers imaginable to what do you do. Nobody has a creative solution to that. And then I'm stuck with knowing, well, what's the next question I'm going to ask other than, okay, great, thanks, nice to meet you, Bye. Any advice on how to do this more effectively?
2: Yeah, I would steer away from that question, actually. Um, And the reason I say that is because um, it appears to be the only places where it's not considered rude are America and maybe Canada. Everywhere else in the world, it's considered rude to ask them a stranger what they do for a living. Um, So I usually just steer away from that. Completely. A lot of times I'll compliment them. It's a beautiful necklace. Where did you get it? Um, I like your haircut. Uh, who, who cuts your hair? Um, things like that. I, 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 it's really, really helpful to start with a compliment and it can be sincere. I'm sure there's something you like. I say nice sneakers or I usually say nice kicks. Um, what are those? Are they comfortable? Um, do they actually have art support? I mean, I actually, when you think about it, for me at least, I, I usually have more questions questions then I can ask. If you are really focused on somebody else, and I mean not just trying to start a conversation uh, for reasons other than really learning something about that other person, right. um, then you'll, there will be questions. You'll want to know stuff because you don't know them. Okay. I, um, I certainly watch people who are
1: master sales people, men or women, we're very good at making and finding that question quickly. They may find that connection very, very rapidly. And they pick up on stuff quickly that they follow up on. Um, so watching someone with that skill kind of gives you some clues as well.
2: Yeah, and, and something that research shows us um, is oftentimes people hire the wrong salespeople. And by that I mean we're tempted to hire people in sales who are good talkers and good storytellers and entertain us well. When research shows that, in fact, the best salespeople are the best listeners for that very reason that you're talking about. They're the ones that are actually paying attention to what the other person likes and dislikes and what they need, right? I mean, the, the core of a sales pitch is that I, can, I have something that you need and we can help each other. And, and so a, a great salesperson is someone that really listens and hears.
1: Great, right, I love that one, that we need to hire listeners, the best listeners, so we understand what people like and need. All right, now let's talk about this notion about introverts and extroverts. And there's a lot of misconception about introverts and extroverts, but just for the record, extroverts are people who get their energy from talking and engaging with other people. Introverts get re-energized by the time to have quiet time to themselves to turn inward to their own thoughts. There's a lot of belief that introverts cannot be very good conversationalists. So if I'm on the introverted side, let's say a little bit more quiet or a little bit shy, I don't really love all this people energy anyway, what can I do to be better as a conversationalist? And can I? Can I even be good
2: at it? Yeah, you know, it turns out that when researchers have taken this into the lab, they have not actually found a connection between introversion and um, social awkwardness. They're not the same thing. Just because you're introverted does not mean that you aren't a good conversationalist. And even more interesting is that for everybody, whether you're introverted or extroverted, and in fact, no matter what your personality type is, uh, small talk, uh, chit-chat with strangers that most of us avoid is really good for your brain. It's good for your brain, it's good for your emotional health and your mental health. So that's number one, is to get over this idea that you need to avoid small talk. Because in fact, talking to your cab driver or your Uber driver um, is going to make you happier about the time you spend in the car, even though you think it will make you less happy. And also it makes you no less productive Talking to somebody on the subway actually makes you feel better and happier, even though you avoid it because you think you're going to hate it. So that's number one, is sometimes it, it, it's helpful to find your own motivation. And if your motivation is that it's going to make you feel good and be happy, <laughs> then there you go. You are backed up by science in that. The, the other thing is that set yourself up for success, if, if you're a person that is, is put off by a lot of crowds, then don't try to have an in-depth conversation at a, at a big, loud party, right? Have the conversation. Either go outside, find a corner, or just don't talk through most of that evening. Respond to other people when they talk to you and, and save your really in-depth conversations for a time when you're more comfortable.
1: Right. But that means we can still do the small talk. We just don't do the in-depth talk. Exactly. And I often say, if you're going to a networking event, the prize is not meeting people. The prize is following up to build the relationships afterwards. So if you have a, just enough a connection at the network event that you can follow up for a deeper conversation, then that's a win-win all the way around.
2: Yeah, and if you think about it, also small talk is the best talk for introverts because there's there's usually not a danger of a sustained conversation. Right, you're not going to see the Uber driver again. You're not going to see that person that was on the train with you, or most likely, um, at at the person at at the party. There's only a few of them that you will end up establishing a strong bond of trust and connection with that you'll see again. The other ones, the stakes are low. Just enjoy yourself. Okay, I love this one. All right, so let me give you another case. I was um,
1: coaching someone today, as a matter of fact, who doesn't like many people that I end up coaching very task oriented. Let's get the job done. This is business. Um, I don't have a lot of time for the small talk. Let's focus on what we need to happen. Caring, not uncaring at all, but just that kind of, you know, how are you doing? How was your weekend stuff? Feels like a waste of time. What's your advice?
2: So we have to kind of get past that. And there's a couple things here. Um, those little conversations that you think are a waste of time. The reason you think that is because you don't, you may not understand the purpose of small talk. The the purpose of small talk is so we can just feel people out in a completely low stakes, environment where we're not risking anything that's how we begin to find out information about someone and figure out our own place in society that's how we figure out whether it's the kind of party where we can be loud or soft whether people are talking about their how much they earn or they're not but it's also the way we begin to understand uh, and create bonds of trust and connection with them if there are some that are possible if there aren't you had a conversation about the weather and you moved on if there are that's the purpose of that little chit chat is okay. is to find that that common ground between two people and see if they're worthy of further investment you you won't meet new people you you know you don't meet new people by by just diving into conversations about you know past childhood trauma and family dysfunction. That's a terrible way to meet people. Um, the When you do that by talking about the weather and someone's going to crack a, crack a joke and you'll find it funny and you'll think to yourself, maybe subconsciously, now this is somebody I want to know more about. That's the purpose of small talk.
1: Okay. And does small talk apply equally, let's say in an office context when we kind of already know each other?
2: I think so. I mean, uh, again, there are multiple purposes of small talk. The, the number one reason is to establish bonds and connections with pe- between people. But it's also just as likely to just be a way for you to um, have an emotional release without really a lot of serious consequences. It's just a chat. This isn't you bringing up the argument you had with your spouse last night. It's just talking about whether or not, I li- whether or not you liked the Wonder Woman movie. And it's not going to get into an argument unless the other person says they didn't like it, in which case, what are you thinking? That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <Okay>. Sure <laughs> Absolutely. Sure Those small talk, the small talk, the chit chat is just there to sort of release emotional tension. It actually, it, 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 no matter who you have it with. You're going to feel better at the end. And I can't emphasize enough that when they did these studies, um, ev- almost universally, people predicted that they thought small talk would make them irritated, that it was a waste of time, and that they'd be less productive. You know, I want to get work done when I'm on the train in the morning. I want to get stuff done when I'm in the car with the taxi driver. But in the end, the vast majority of people said they felt happier, they felt their mood was lightened, and they were no less productive
1: That's the fascinating part, because we worry that it wastes time. And what you're saying is it doesn't waste time. It doesn't. In fact,
2: it's it's a really great and productive use of your time, maybe more productive than whatever it is you're trying to focus on while you ignore the person talking about their grandkids.
1: Certainly a faster way to get people on board to do things. Okay, we're going to take a break. With me today is Celeste Headley, and Celeste has a number of accolades to her name. One of the ones is she's currently host of On Second Thought at Georgia Public Radio. She has a long history of radio broadcasting. Her TEDx Creative Coast Talk in 2015, The Ten Ways to Have a Better Conversation, has been viewed more than 10 million times. And more importantly, her just-released second book, Entitled, We Need to Talk How to Have Conversations That Mattered is really a fabulous practical guide to the lost art of conversation. Now, if I just sort of try to summarize all that's been said here, first off, questions are your secret weapon, and I need to ask very simple ones who, what, where, when, why, and how. Very direct. How do you feel? What are you thinking? Um, I notice the small things like the smartphone or the shirt or the emblem on the shirt, or and I just start up small talk. And as it turns out, small talk is not a waste of time. It actually leaves us feeling happier. It leaves us in a better mood, and it makes us no less productive. that's an interesting one. Now, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about this whole thing of what do you do when you get a question that you didn't really want to answer and a bit more about how do we deal with strangers. We'll be right back.
0: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
2: is your business running? It should be running smoothly, with nary
1: a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses,
2: yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Sergio Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're
1: sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 New Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
2: Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy.
0: To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone.
1: Welcome back. With me today is Celeste Headley, and the headline for Celeste is her TEDx Creative Coast Talk. The 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation has been viewed more than 10 10 million times, and that has led to a just-released second book, We Need to Talk, How to Have Conversations that Matter. Now, Celeste's advice is that we need to talk more, not less, Um, that we need to start with simple questions, who, what, where, when, how, very simple, where'd you get that shirt, um what town do you live in so some very simple straightforward questions that get people talking and we've talked about the value of small talk now i want to turn to when you start conversations with people sometimes it's a casual conversation with someone you've just met sometimes it's a serious conversation like a job interview or a senior leader asks a question and it's a question you don't want to answer what do you do then
2: So this, again, depends on the context you're in. If somebody's asking me this at a social event, I'll often say, well, I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. Um, And then I'll follow it up with, honestly, I I don't feel comfortable answering that, but let me tell you something I do know. Uh, I do a a version of that in a professional setting as well. I just leave off the joke and I say, well, I'm not comfortable answering that, but let me tell you what I do know. And, you know, it's funny because that's what I value most in a guest On the air when I'm interviewing them also is oftentimes that if I ask them a question they can say okay well instead of that let me tell you what's actually important or let me tell you what I really am an expert in that's one way to handle that and that's when we're talking about a question that you get that like as you said you don't want to answer right maybe an intrusive question or one that's overly personal or just maybe it's that you they're asking you a political question who did you vote for and you don't feel like answering, right? Just be honest about it. You say, you know, I'm not comfortable answering that, but here's what I think about what's gone on in this country since, or here's why I think the country is really polarized. The second half to that is if it's a question you actually just don't know the answer to, tell them you don't know. I mean, a lot of people think the, the hardest words to say are I love you, but in fact, research suggests they're I don't know. We have a terrible time saying that. And, you know, among the worst offenders are, are doctors, as you might amend, and they have a very hard time saying they don't know things. But, but some of the research that we have shows that when a doctor uses this magic phrase, I don't know, but I'll find out. When they're able to say that, um, patients' belief in their credibility and their intelligence actually goes up. Trust in them goes up. The, the very thing that may be uh, making them afraid of saying, I don't know, which is, is fear, right? Fear that people will think they don't know what they're doing. They're, it's counterproductive to pretend you know when you don't know. And the same is true in business situations. If your boss asks you something, just try using that magic phrase, I don't know, but I'll find out.
1: Yeah, the, the, uh, the exceptions to that are if you say every time, every week, the boss asks you a question, and it's the same right. question again and again, and you keep saying, I don't know, then we got a different doubt. But I don't, I, I mean, I hear this all the time from senior leaders, that there is no harm in saying, I don't know, I will find out. Or I don't know, I suspect it looks like this. You can give an educated guess so long as you label it as that and then go find out for sure.
2: Right. D- don't say, I'll find out, and then don't find out. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> Go find out.
1: Yeah. My most powerful example of this is I was interviewing a very senior guy um, in front of a group. So it was sort of a panel discussion, and somebody from the audience asked him a question about strategy. Now, he's a very senior guy. You would think on the tip of his tongue he would know this question about strategy. And he said, you know... That's kind of embarrassing. I actually don't know the answer to that. I will find out and get back to you. And I was just so amazed with his comfort in saying, I don't know. That's it. Big deal. I should know. I don't. And he got back to me before the end of the day with the email answer that says, please, would you forward this on to everybody? Impressive. Didn't seem to bother him one bit. Like, yep, I don't know that. I probably should.
2: And if you think about it, it makes sense, right? We all know that people don't know everything. And they can't remember everything. So subconsciously, it probably makes us suspicious when someone appears to know everything, because it's not possible. And what that leads to is a doubt in your mind, because you're saying, look, I know this person can't know everything. And because they're not admitting to what they don't know, I can't tell which is which. It, it ups your your belief in their credibility and their and their trustworthiness when they actually they tell you clearly what they know and what they don't know. It's really important.
1: Yeah, I also think it's linked to authenticity. I think when people mm-hmm. are trying to act like they know everything, we think they're arrogant. So your advice when you get a question, just to come back to this one, is maybe make a joke if it's appropriate in the context and there's something witty you can say. Um, And then just say, I either can't answer that or I'm not comfortable answering that. And then segue right into something you do want to talk about. But let me tell you what I do know. Or let me tell you what I think we should be talking about. Or let me tell you what I think the important issue is here. And if you need to come back with information, then come back with information. Yeah, follow through. All right, let's focus on persuasion. I can't talk to anybody anywhere without this topic of how do I have more influence? How do I persuade people? So how can we be more convincing?
2: Okay. So here's another secret weapon. It is your voice. (laughs) They have done some really interesting research. Now, the vast majority of people, um, in the developed world at least, would prefer to send email than make a phone call. You, you found this, right? I mean, most yeah. people avoid the phone like the plague. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they actually did some studies trying to figure out whether people were more persuasive through email than through voice. And they did it by asking people to try to get friends and strangers to fill out a survey. Now, the vast majority of people thought, predicted they would be much more persuasive through email by sending them, a, a, you know, a friendly email. Here's this thing. It'll only take five minutes. Can you fill it out for me? It'd be a really huge help to me. Love your friend. Um, they thought that would be much more persuasive than walking up to strangers on the street and, street and just asking, will you do the survey for me? But as you can predict, because predict, I'm telling you the story, it was entirely the opposite result. They were much more persuasive face to face in person with strangers than they were over email uh, to their friends. And there's a really good reason for this. It is because human beings are evolutionarily designed to speak face to face. We have incredible benefits. We have subconscious skills and talents to read other people's facial expressions and read their body movements and hear the tone of their voice. We are designed that way by evolution. Uh, we are not all that well designed to communicate over the written word. If you think about it, it has not been that long, if over the course of human history, since Gutenberg Press made it possible for everyone to read printed writing. That's a relative, relatively new development. Our skill as human beings is mostly in voice-to-voice and face-to-face conversation. It's not necessarily through the written word. So if you want to be persuasive, meet someone in person. Get on the plane if they're somewhere else. If it's that important, get on the plane and go see them. If it's slightly less important, pick up the phone. Wow. I I just have to go
1: back to this study. So I'm going to walk up to an absolute total stranger on the street face-to-face, yeah. face and say, will you fill out the survey for me? And yeah. I will be more successful doing that than I am sending an email to a friend, someone I know, and say, would you do me a favor, fill out this quick survey?
2: Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and, all right. You know, listen, all of the, we're, we're, we're you know, email is relatively recent. And it, as you know, it takes quite a while for, for clinical research to be completed and fact-checked and, you know, peer Reviewed, etc., etc. So some of this research on our communications over email is is just trickling in. But I will tell you that uh, one of the things they discovered is that a a friend and family member, a close friend and family member, is no more accurate at detecting sarcasm in your email than a complete stranger off the street. Think about wow. that for a moment. Yeah. Right. We We are not good at communicating over email. We keep using it. We keep preferring it to the phone. Think, again, in the mistaken idea that we're saving ourselves time, that it's more efficient. But in fact, it is exactly the opposite. Email is way less efficient as a communication tool than the very thing that we are designed to do. Our voices are unbelievably expressive and convey all kinds of meaning. And you know, we we get rid of so much meaning when we text or email. All communication has three components to meaning. It has the the words that we choose, the the vocabulary itself. Then it has body language, uh, your facial expressions and your body movements. And the third component is is tone of voice. So if I say to you, um, I'm excited, it's a really different meaning than I'm excited, right? (laughs) Totally opposite meanings, but that's something you cannot convey through a text or an email right. or a Snapchat or whatever else you're doing it. We're just we're, we're crippling ourselves by, by not using the very thing that is the most expressive tool we have,
1: which is the voice. This reminds yep. me of two things. One is a senior executive who's in Asia who says, if it's a really important topic and you're trying to persuade people halfway around the world, insist that it's on a video conference. I know it's a pain for the time zone and everything, Mm -hmm. but you're far more persuasive that way than you are just on the phone. If it's important, do it. And then Charlie Simpson, who was a guest a few weeks ago, said – That email is great for communicating facts. The written word is great for facts, which includes email and documents. But it is lousy for influence and persuasion. It's only the human voice. It's that face-to-face that's really good for persuasion. And you're saying the same thing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's a few things. There's a limited number of things email does really well. It's great at sending attachments right? It's, it's great, as you say, sending uh, just factual information. An email is also a really good way to follow up on a video call or a voice call, right? You can send an email saying, okay, here's a, here's what I heard during our conversation. Is this what you also heard? Basically that you're just laying out facts and it's a great way to sort of get it written down. It's a good reminder, all those kind of things. Um, But any time there's nuance required, any time there's any kind of question or debate, or or if you're trying to innovate, email is a terrible vehicle for that.
1: Okay. So when I have nuance, when there's a question, when there's debate, or when we're trying to innovate, in effect, when we're trying to be persuasive – email is awful. I'm still struck by this study. I can't get over it. That asking a family or a friend member to fill out a survey by email is far less effective than walking up to a stranger on the street, face-to-face, and asking them to fill out the email survey. I'm stunned by that one. Fabulous. All right, Celeste, I wanted to return to this notion about talking to strangers. Um, You said earlier that small talk is really good. That it makes us, it improves our mood, it makes us feel better, and it's no less... Productive. We don't waste as much time as we think we do. In fact, it somehow seems to balance out at the end. But what is it about talking to strangers? And there are different views here about speaking to people that you don't know. I'm going to give you two stories about this one. One is walking the streets of New York and increasingly in the streets of London, there's um, a sense that you just don't speak to anybody that you don't know. So starting up a small talk conversation is a little awkward in those cities. But the contrast to that is recently, um, Chief Justice John Roberts gave a graduation speech to his son's middle school class. Highly recommend anybody listen to this one. And he basically said, get to know the people that you don't see in your school that you're going to. So like the janitor or the groundskeeper or whomever, get to know their names, speak to them, say hello. And his thing was, you know, you say hello to strangers, and the worst case is you end up as the strange person who says hello. And the best case is you make people feel better. So, where do you sit on this stranger, non stranger equation?
2: Um, I say strangers. I like strangers and I want to talk to them. So listen, there's this great, two of the people that have done some of the most seminal research on talking to strangers and they were the ones that did this transportation study. And the reason they focused on transportation is because um, in a number of countries, your commute is is considered to be the, the least enjoyable part of your day. Um, so I just want to read from their 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 article they published on this in the Journal of Experimental Psychology. They say, quote, for one of the most highly social species on the planet whose members benefit significantly from forming connections with other people, this seems paradoxical. Why would highly social animals in the company of strangers so routinely ignore each other? And that's my same question. What are we avoiding? What is it that we're afraid of? We waste a ton of time on other ridiculous stuff. I mean, you're trying to tell me that these people who say it's a waste of time to chit-chat with their Uber driver don't go home and, and browse the internet uselessly <laughs> for hours on end, right? Or or like sift through the Netflix things for at least 20 minutes searching for whatever their next binge is. So what's What's wrong with that so-called waste of time anyway? What's so wrong with it? I mean, not every moment of your day has to be productive. In fact, it, 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 trying to make every, day of your, of your, every moment of your day productive is going to make you miserable and stressed out. To that extent, that small talk, that moment of just risk-free chit-chat that means nothing, has no significance, won't return to you. It's a, it's a, it's a relaxation. It's a break. And that's good. In the end, that's going to make you more productive because your mind is healthier. You've just taken a break. So, you know, give up the whole thing of trying to be productive all day long. You're not going to achieve that. You're not a computer. Um, and embrace what is uniquely human about you, and that is your society with other people.
1: It's fascinating. And if you think about it from a business point of view, too, ultimately, at the end of the day, if a bunch of people aren't following you, you're not going to be very effective. You're not doing it all along. And so that means you have to make these human-to-human connections. And I agree with you. Just that break, even if it's just a three-minute break, kind of really helps. So just to repeat the study in the transportation, that when you are commuting the least enjoyable part of your day, taking the time to speak to a stranger – around you an uber driver the cab driver the person standing next to you on the metro or the tube saying hello a quick short risk-free conversation leaves you feeling happier in a better mood and no less productive at the end of the day okay celeste we're going to take a break again with me today is celeste headley the book if you'd like to read more is called we need to talk how to have conversations that matter and if you haven't done that i highly recommend you look at our ted talk 10 ways to have a better conversation Now, when we come back i want to talk about one of the most problematic challenges for conversations and that's how to talk about those tricky subjects like politics we'll be
2: right back
0: Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone.
1: With me today is Celeste Headley and the book that we've been talking about just released, We Need to Talk, How to Have Conversations That Matter. Now, Celeste has a long background as a radio show host with On Second Thought at Georgia Public Radio. She's done a bunch of things for NPR, some very um, well-known shows, some presidential election coverage for PBS World, and her TED Talk 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation has been viewed more than 10 million times and was named as one of the most watched TED Talks in 2016 and Glassdoor said it's a must watch for every recruiter and hiring manager. We've talked about a range of things including how do you start conversations which is largely by asking simple questions. Notice small things about people, ask a question. Keep asking a question. Getting people to talk about stuff they already know the answer to and that they care about puts them at ease and it starts the conversation you're just looking for a small connection. And then we were just also talking about the power of talking to strangers, which is more powerful than you can imagine. And the fact that the human body or the human being, I should say, is built to be persuasion persuasive through the face-to-face communication, not through email. And some powerful research on that one. All right. So Celeste. Lovely bits and pieces of advice. Now, let's turn to that really difficult part, tricky conversations. We all know the uh, family dinner event where everybody agrees in advance that there's no way we're going to talk about politics. Um, And on, on all countries, there's a lot of political debate happening at the moment, not just in the U.S. or in the U.K. or in Europe. So we all agree to avoid it. But you think that's a bad idea because we really need to talk about these topics. So how do we do it?
2: Yeah. So this strategy we have of avoiding it hasn't worked so great for us, has it? (laughs) I mean, are we we all happy with how that's working out? Um, I, I think the problem, again, we're talking about fear And you have to ask yourself, what is it you're actually afraid of in having that conversation? Usually it's that you're going to get into an argument. Maybe you're afraid you're going to get an argument and say something you didn't mean to say. Maybe you're afraid you're going to call a a relative or a friend a a racist. Maybe you think you're going to call them something else. Um, But that's going to happen only if you allow yourself to get really angry. And by the time you get into a shouting match where you're screaming insults at each other, the, the conversation went off the rails Way before that. So the thing you have to ask yourself is, why are the stakes so high for me? Oftentimes it's because we go into these conversations expecting to change someone else's mind. We think they're wrong. We believe they're wrong. Sometimes we believe they're wrong on a, on a subject like civil rights or or respect for other human beings, something that is so core- to who we are in our own identity, that we feel we have to change them or we can't get along uh, unless their mind is changed. That's what you have to let go of. And if for no other reason than science tells us, you're not going to change their mind. It's really unlikely. So therefore, if you enter that conversation with the intent to learn from them, Not to agree with them, not to endorse their views, but to learn more about their perspective, to understand better why they think the way they do. If you go into that conversation to learn rather than to educate or lecture, you're going to have a much, much better time, and it's unlikely you'll end up in an argument.
1: Okay, so I, I like this idea because it really resonates with so much of what we say and as I bring it into corporate life and out of family and friends where there's someone I need to work with, I don't really see eye to eye with them, we've been on the wrong side of argument on multiple occasions and frequently I'm going to come to the conclusion I just flat out don't like them and followed immediately by I don't respect them. But every time you try to engage that conversation with a purpose of changing their mind about X, Y, or Z topic, it is going to go south quickly. And instead, yeah. if you can always engage with understanding how did you come to that conclusion and what was that about, then so much the better. And you're saying the same is true in our casual in our conversations around any tricky topic, that we go in not with the intent of changing the mind but with understanding.
2: Yeah, and maybe even with the with the intent of saying, of acknowledging we're not going to agree on this. So let's figure out how to get along anyway, or let's play a game. Let's figure out what we do agree on. (laughs) Cause I, I bet there are things. (laughs) So you can talk about the conversation with the intent to understand them, but you can also use it as a way to figure out where your common ground is. That doesn't mean you like the other person. You're not going to like everybody that you meet. You're certainly not going to agree with them all on politics, Um, But you can find common ground. You can find ways that you can get along with somebody um, and and find ways where I have had conversations with work colleagues where I've said, listen, um, if you can avoid talking about this, because every time you talk about that, right or wrong, the hair on the back of my neck stands up and I get defensive. So for the purpose of our working relation, let's ship. Let's just. Let's just t- not talk about that. Don't say that thing you are in the habit of saying for me, for my benefit. Could you do that? Um, mm-hmm. You're going to find it much better. And and to that end, let me teach everybody four magic words, and they are: Can you help me? Human beings respond to that. Journalists know this. When we when we are parachuted into a city. One of the, those words we use all the time when we're trying to get somebody to do an interview with us, a stranger on the street. We say, can you help me? I'm doing a story on whatever it may be. Can you help me? I just need a, a few minutes of your time. And, and people respond. It's the same thing either at work or at your Thanksgiving dinner or whatever it may be. Can you help me? I don't understand. I, I, I literally have no concept to understand where you're coming from. And I want to help me. Help me understand you. Okay. All right. So now, how, any advice for how do you... I love this one. Well, can
1: you help me? It's a great thing. Can, and I like the way you gave that, you know, if you would help me by avoid talking about this one, I get defensive. So I'm taking ownership for it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you. And just for my benefit, please don't say this. Okay. I get that one. Now, let's say I enter this conversation with the best of intent I really, in my mind, thought I was prepared to understand what we agree on, where our common ground is, and really try to learn where you're coming from. And then something happens, and I find that emotional, you know, like, flare, and I'm angry. How do we deal with it at that moment? Any advice?
2: Yeah, I would say um, that's okay. Human beings are emotional creatures. We are not No matter how much we like to believe we are logical, we are not, actually. Um, Your IQ is just as important as your EQ. They are of equal value and importance when it comes to conversation, communication, and forming bonds of trust. And therefore, if you get angry, first of all, try to be aware that you have become angry so that you don't say something in your anger that you might regret later, but just acknowledge it. In fact, oftentimes, I will walk away from the conversation at this point, and I will say, I, I'm not even sure what I said or what you said. I don't know what triggered it, but I am feeling angry right now, and I'm not in the fr- right frame of mind to, to talk about this. I'm, I, nobody would want to speak to me right now. So if you don't mind, I need to step away and, and clear my head. Um, okay. don't, don't have those conversations when you're angry. That's a, that's a bad thing to do.
1: Yeah, and then you end up saying things that you don't mean, don't intend to say. Right. Okay. I love that one. Um, I, I also, I mean, do you have advice for when somebody's angry at you? Do you just re- reverse the same thing? You know, you thought you were having a casual conversation, and all of a sudden your counterpart is exploding at you in emotion. Um, is it just
2: to say the
1: same thing, this isn't a good time to talk about it, let's come back.
2: It can be, but it's funny. Um, I give this, this advice to, to people who deal with customer service all the time. If they're angry, just stop talking and hear them out. You know, there's this amazing jazz musician, which you may have seen the documentary about his life, Daryl Davis. He's an African-American guy, and his hobby for the past, I don't know, two decades has been talking people out of membership in the KKK. He's so successful at it that he convinced all of the leaders of KKK groups in Maryland to step down and basically dismantled the KKK in the state of Maryland. And the way that he does this is by listening to them. He just lets them talk. And and his point is everyone just wants to be heard. Uh, And when someone is angry Maybe they have a reason to. It may, it, they may not even be aware of what the cause is. Uh, it may not be your fault at all. But does, that doesn't mean you can't be the one that allows them to, to give voice. It's not going to hurt you. I mean, we're not talking about a situation. Again, we're not talking about an extreme situation where, I don't know, someone's being verbally abusive or assaulting you. Obviously, get out of that situation. We're just talking about your average conversation. If they get angry, hear them out. Stop feeling like you need to contribute. That's right. That's right.
1: One of our guests who's talked a lot, Jim Tam, has talked some about defensiveness, says that when you feel defensive or when you feel that emotion, that the question, the things to say is, tell me more. It's just that same sense. Now's when I need to really listen, if I can listen. But fair enough, I don't want to be talking if I'm angry in that moment Right. time. Okay, Celeste, we have about a minute and a half before we wrap. If you were giving people just your top tips of advice for how to be better conversationalists, what would you
2: say? Um, I would say uh, stop talking about yourself all the time. Um, try to reduce that down to only one-third of what you say. And the, the only the most important thing is to listen. And, and don't, be, uh, don't feel confident that you're already listening well. It's unlikely that you are because human beings don't do it well Naturally, We have to work at it. So that means that you probably need to work at it just like everybody else does. So listen. Don't listen just waiting for them to take a breath so you can say something back. Listen to actually hear them, understand what they're saying, and respond uh, to what they've said. All right.
1: So there's some fabulous advice in here. If I can just try to sum it up. One thing is questions are a secret weapon. Ask simple, open-ended questions. Who, what, where, when, why, and how. Second thing we said is that the human voice is a secret que- secret weapon, so you're much more persuasive when you are face-to-face with someone than you will ever be in any version of written messages, voice um, over phone or video being second thing. And the third thing you said was a secret weapon is, can I help you? So asking people to do a favor for you. I love it. Celeste? The book is, my guest today again is Celeste Headley, and the book is We Need to Talk, How to Have Conversations That Matter. Celeste, thank you for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was a delight. All right, and join us next week for another episode.
0: Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.